My name is Milian Mori and welcome to our podcast Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visionaries, hustlers and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless and determined. We fight for love, profits and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Hello, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm great. We are live. So hello, my dear friends. Uh, Here we are again, back from Tallinn two years probably ago already. And uh, today I have a very special guest, uh, the one and only Marisa Peer, the number one UK uh, hypnotherapist and probably the best one in the world. So welcome, Marisa, back to our warrior family and this time also smart money family show how are you in in la right now what is going on i can't believe that was two years i had the best time in Tallinn. that's full of memories but yeah we're in la we live in venice on a canal so we have a charmed life we're very lucky i still get to paddleboard every day even in the lockdown because it's outside my house so it's cool we're um very happy very busy everything is great Wow, great. So let's let's start with some questions. You mentioned the word lockdown. What does yeah. it mean? What does it mean for people this lockdown? Well, is it's, it, yeah, is it is it possible that it is going to affect uh, their their our lives and our mental health in the future? I think it's already affecting our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't personally use the word lockdown. I just did then. Mm-hmm. Me, but lockdown is a really bad word. I mean, I use the word safe at home. I'm at home. I'm safe at home. Everything is great at home. Excuse me one minute. I started to cough, actually. Do you mind if I get some water? Is this live? Uh, yeah, it, it's live. Well, no problem. We can <coughs> I won't get any water, then. Sorry. <coughs> Sorry about that. So um, I, I have. <laughs> I have it by osmosis. So um, <coughs> we don't use – I don't like the word lockdown or mm-hmm. shut in or trapped home, or even in quarantine, because they're not true. We're safe at home. You know, people have, in 1600, people were in a plague, and they were sealed into their houses. So we're very lucky that life is a lot easier now than it was then. But (coughs) don't use the word lockdown. Don't use the word cooped up. Just say I'm safe at home. And actually, as it's happening now, what you call lockdown, what I call safe at home, is just starting to end. It's just starting to stop so we're very lucky that we've come through it and also you know we all want more time we're saying if i had more time and so during this time of being at home all you can do is learn something i mean we're so lucky there's free youtube tutorials there's so much you can do so the first week the first three days i've had it a little old and then i completely got used to it now it's going to be really weird going out again (laughs) great uh, Marisa, uh, right now we have many, many agents uh, on the live uh, live interview. So let's talk about the, the money because our company name is Smart Money. What it, What is money actually? 
for you and what does it mean for many people because many people have this issue around money well what would you if i was describing money i'd say it's an energy it's a transaction you know you can there are certain tribes communities where they live without money but what is money it's just a way of transacting you know 100 years 500 years ago i'd switch my eggs for your straw but then sometimes your straw was wet and my eggs weren't laid and so we learned to use money because it's a better barter system but we've got all this weird stuff about money you learn half of what you learn in your whole life before you are five years old and when your parents go i can't find the money well, nobody finds money unless you're lucky walking down the street and there is some. I, I don't know where the money is coming from. I can't find the money. Money slips through my fingers. Um, we hear all these things. Money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. It's easy to want money. Don't ask for more. If you have more, someone else has less. There's not enough money to go around. It doesn't grow on trees. And you see, if you grow up hearing these strange beliefs about money, you'll then pick them up. Oh, my mum can't find the money. And many of my clients who come in with very interesting wealth blocks and money blocks will always go back to a scene where either they had to pretend they weren't wealthy. You know, I've had many wealthy people say, you know, I had to hide it. Other kids were so jealous. My mum said, don't show them that, don't tell them that and others who are deeply ashamed of not having enough money, and others who are deeply confused because my dad goes to work and says, I hate my job. Hmm. I've got to find money for you kids. Or my parents go, you're costing me too much money. So before you were five, you formed a belief about money that is affecting you right now to this day. And what you have to do is go back and find that belief and get rid of it. We can do some stuff today to mm -hmm. help shift your money blocks. You yeah. see, people have this, this limit. What is the most I could ever earn? And they fix, they fix it. And often they're scared of that. Oh, my God, that's too much. And as they get close to that limit, because you fixed it, you start to sabotage yourself from ever having more. And if you think people don't, who would reject money? Think of this 70% of lottery winners, 70% are bankrupt mm -hmm. in three years. How could that be? You won millions of dollars. It was your dream country. You're so happy. Three years later, you're dead broke because your relationship with money influences how you manage money. Friday and you, you spend it, you know, you pay bills, you buy stuff, you, you, you buy groceries. And by the next Friday, it's all gone. When you win the lottery, you'll, you'll spend it because that's your pattern. The 30% who don't go dead broke in three years, are the ones already have money and they know how to manage it and they understand investing. But if you don't understand that, it's a foreign country and many money managers say you have to get to lottery winners in the first week. If you can't get them really fast about managing it, then they won't keep it. Mm -hmm. I, I remember your uh, your words from Tallinn. You said you cannot solve money problem with more money. And so we try to do that. Yeah, you can't. It, well, anyone with teenagers will tell you that. Dad, I haven't got enough money to insure the car. Mom, I can't pay my bills. Here's some money. And back they come later. My daughter did that. She said, Mom, I can't pay my um, tax. And I went, well, darling, you, you're going to have to work that out. You know, when you get your salary, 
you can't spend it all. And I knew I could pay her tax, but it doesn't help us. So I said, look, you know, I can help you pay it, but you're going to have to really go sell some stuff on eBay. Put your put the room in your house on um, Airbnb. There, there are other ways of you finding that money because she had to learn that you can't just spend it. Mm-hmm. But if you give kids money because they have money problems, they continue to have money problems. When even they, when they are forty five years old, <laughs> fifty five years old, yeah, because you know it's very interesting when parents say, "I can't find the money." You're not teaching your child monetize a gift. So when my little girl was very little, it was Christmas, and she, she'd asked for this one particular toy. She never got it. She really wanted this Polly Pocket dream house. And I went, well, you know, she told me, Santa Claus didn't bring me that. I said, well, that's okay. She said, I really want it. I said, okay, well, now you're going to have to earn it. So you're going to have to get 150 stars, and you're going to have to empty the dishwasher, Feed the cat. I, I find the things we're doing. I mean, of course, she chipped all the dishes, but that's not the point. You got to teach them. You have to now earn this thing that you want. And actually, she loved earning those stars, watching the star trek go up and up and up. And I made her get a lot of stars. I made it take quite some time because she already had all these gifts. And finally, I think by Easter she had the stars. We went off. We got this dream house. She never even played with it. It was so much more fun for her to get the stars because when you teach children, if you want something, find a way to earn the money to buy that and you reward them for chores. Even if they do the chores terribly, that's not the point. The point is they're learning, oh, in life when I want something, I find a way of earning the money. If you give it to them, they never earn it. And if you say, well, no, we, we can't, we haven't got the money, we can't afford that, no, there's just no way, then they have these blocks. And so when your kid says, mom, can I have that? And you go, no, no, we can't afford it. What you have to say is, you can have that at Christmas time or at your birthday, or if you get straight A's at school, or if you find a way of earning the money, and then their mind begins to understand, I can monetize a gift. And if you don't give that to children, they'll go through life expecting you to monetize them. And that's a big mistake. Wow. You mentioned some great words. You mentioned earn the money, sell something on eBay and uh, monetize the gift. What did you mean about when you said monetize the gift? Okay, so we all have a gift. You know, many of us think, I don't have a gift. The universe didn't put you here without a gift. Everyone on the planet has a gift. And your gift, interestingly enough, is very linked to what you love to do between the age of 7 and 14. So take a look even now. What did you love to do between the age of 7 and 14? You might think, you know, I don't know, but you might have to go back and ask your parents what you love to do then is a key indicator of what you are meant to do. Now, between the age of seven and 14, I was always writing stories. I used to write little storybooks about mm-hmm. families. They're always very unhappy, which is quite funny. I always wrote about unhappy parents, but the kids were okay. And of course, later I became a therapist and I've written five best-selling books. So I, I had no idea that that was my gift to write. Mm-hmm. Now I write speeches, I write talks, I write products, I write my own stuff and I I film it on YouTube. My daughter used to make little clothes for her dolls out of Kleenex and now she's quite a successful fashion designer. 
one of my friends that I was always doing puzzles and now I'm a strategist. So the first thing is to find your gift. When you found your gift, the second thing is how can I monetize that? You know, Tony Robbins has a gift for making people feel good. Oprah Winfrey has a gift for, for talking to an audience. Some people have interesting gifts we never think mm -hmm. of having, but they have a gift. Mm -hmm. Find your gift. Then you have to, once you've found it, really believe in yourself. How can I market this, sell it, make something of this? Mm -hmm. And then you monetize it. So we all have gifts, you know. Uh, some of us have, you know, I, for instance, my gift is not to be a chef. I, I could never do My gift is not to be a gardener, not to be a decorator. But there are many people who don't even understand the gift they have. And when they understand it, change of, the, I'll give you a great story. There was the police in England kept finding these kids in the street with half a tennis ball in their pocket. And eventually they, they worked out what they were doing. These kids who were very young to realize if they put that tennis ball over a Mercedes car and hit it, the air in it would disable the locking system. And Mercedes realized straight away that they should be employing these kids. It's rather like that movie, Catch Me If You Can, where Leonardo DiCaprio was flying planes and now he works for the FBI because what a gift he had. And sometimes we think, well, I don't have a gift, but... You, you do have a gift, and I love those stories that those people who were going into crime realized they had a better gift. One of my clients was in jail, and he came out, and he wrote a whole system on how to revolutionize the jail system in the UK, and it's very popular. So sometimes we have very what we call abstract gifts, but you have a gift. Find it, believe in yourself, and then monetize it. Yeah, but uh, it's not that easy to monetize. You mentioned the word uh, market and uh, sell uh, your yeah. book. But not, we have many new agents. We are selling uh, and distribution. We have the distribution channel for the insurance product and financial products. And we have many new people coming into our business. But I think that this, this word selling is such a big problem with people. People, they hate to sell, but I think that this is the ultimate skill that they must develop in new time because nobody will employ you anymore and give you the fixed salary and you will move the furniture in the office. So why is so much hate around this word selling? Well, you know, 80% of your success in sales is mindset. 80% of your success in anything is mindset. So... When people say, you know, it's going to be difficult to monetize this, that, that's the mindset. It's going to be so hard, so difficult. There are people who are really gifted at selling. And if you're a gifted salesperson, that is an art. It's a gift. It's a talent. But you see, the problem is you're, you're asking for something. You're putting your hand up going, hey, could you buy something from me? And we see it as tacky, as, oh, it's greedy. You know, even eBay, they never say, by the way, you just bought something you didn't even need. They go, you've won. So when you're on eBay and they go, don't let it get away, win it. You've won. And people buy stuff they don't need for prices that are not even a great deal all the time. Mm -hmm. They buy them because eBay tells them you have won. And you see, that's one of the skills of selling. You don't talk about money. You say your investment in this is... What it, what it will 
cost you to invest in yourself is the fee is the transaction is when you go the cost the money is going to cost you x so you know i sell my own training courses all over the world and we very rarely talk about the cost we talk about the investment you're you're buying a brand new career you're changing people's lives including your own because here's the truth about buying everything you buy without exceptions because of how it makes you feel whatever you're buying whether you're buying designer goods or designer perfume or, or organic food or life insurance or home insurance or a car you're buying that because of how it makes you feel mm -hmm. and when you can get your clients to feel that feeling then Everything is a game changer. So my husband was saying to me, you know, we live in LA and we've got a place in London. We don't really need a place in London. And I said, no, I, I do. I need a place in London because I don't want to turn up every year and check into an Airbnb and have to carry stuff around the world. And it's a very expensive wardrobe, my London house, but it's my wardrobe. I like my stuff. I like to get on a plane with no luggage. I like to go back. I know where everything is. It's really nice when we get our little dog, we can take him back to the horse. I just don't want to be in an Airbnb. And yes, we'll save money, but the money we have, I want to feel good. So that makes me feel good having a home in London. It wouldn't make me feel good staying in hotels for three and a half months of every year. And then sometimes we'll say, you know, you don't need that. Like my husband doesn't understand shoes and handbags. And I don't really understand why he has to get a new computer and a new phone. What's wrong with, he said, I need to get you a new phone. I'm like, the old one's fine. I need to get you a new laptop. I love the one I've got, but it makes him feel good to have. That makes me feel good to keep the one I've got. I think, well, I don't need another one. But as a salesperson, you have to focus on how will the buyer feel when they buy this? Mm -hmm. People think I bought this because I got a bargain and I felt really good because I got a bargain. I negotiate that person down. I got extra gifts. I got special treatment. I mean, the only reason we buy designer things is because we think I feel better. I've got a design or something. We buy insurance because we feel safe. Mm -hmm. you now, when you have children, if you're buying private education, you feel good. If you're buying healthcare you feel good i mean i we pay so much money for american healthcare, and it, it's frustrating because we're in england half the year but i feel safe with that medicine. especially now i feel really safe with that insurance so when you're selling something you got to look at why are people buying this what's the feeling they get when they buy it sometimes people realize well, i can get the feeling without the good so if I bought that designer shirt, would I feel great? Maybe. But would I feel great if I got the same shirt in Gap and it looked identical and cost $30 instead of $500? Yeah, I might. I would feel great personally. I was having lunch with a friend once. I had on a white shirt. She did. Mine came from Zara, cost 50 bucks. Hers came from Prada, cost 700 I couldn't see the difference. I loved the fact that mine cost $50, but she loved the fact that hers cost $700. She said, oh, I love the fact that I only buy designer stuff. I don't frankly get that, but other people do. But you've got to look at the feeling. Insurance makes you feel safe. And we all want to feel safe. 
safety is that's why we lock our cars and like put on a seatbelt, put on the seatbelt on the plane, check all the exits because being safe is so important. So when you're selling, you've got to always look beyond the item and look for the feeling you get mm -hmm. and then you'll be able to sell. But it is an art, it is a gift, and you should never feel ashamed of it. You should, should feel proud of it, really proud that you can sell. I mean, occasionally I'm in a store, in a restaurant, and the waitress goes, hey, you know, we've got this dish, and it's amazing. I go, oh, you're really selling that to me today. But I say it because I'm impressed. You're really selling that. You've done a great job. And we should recognize people who can sell as very valuable. It's a great thing to sell. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the word life insurance and insurance a couple of times. Do you own life insurance? I do. I have every insurance. Um, you know, I had, years ago, I, my house in London got flooded. I was so glad I had insurance. One of my friends, she was sitting in her car with her hand like that and the window open. This guy actually mugged her by her Rolex. She was so upset. She had no insurance. And then her house caught on fire and she still had no insurance. And I, and I said, I don't understand. This is, she had a third event, no, I think she broke her leg and she had no health insurance. I'm like, this is crazy. You've had three events. I mean, why don't you have insurance? If you have expensive items, you can definitely afford to insure them. And if you can't, then don't have them. But I have health insurance, I thank goodness I have insurance for our events because we were putting on an event in LA and we flew out and then this whole um, Corona thing happened and we had to cancel the accommodation we booked for our staff. We had to cancel the hotel rooms. My staff couldn't even get into America because they canceled entry to Europeans. So thank goodness we all of that was insured and Insurance is expensive, but it gives you peace of mind. That's what I'm buying, mm -hmm. peace of mind. So, yeah, I have life insurance, travel insurance, health insurance, seminar insurance, you name it. I have all of it. Why is so, so much negativity around the word insurance and life insurance? Because we deal with this every day. And when people hear about, oh, do you sell life insurance? Oh, I, I don't need you to visit me. <laughs> so why do and, you think? You know, that's so bizarre because my mother's husband died. He was 10 years younger than her. So I think she thought she was very lucky. She was 65. He was 55. He was a young guy and he just dropped dead right in front of her. And then she discovered he had no insurance. And because she was older than him, he was working. She was retired. No insurance at all. And she really actually resented him for doing that. And if you have a children or a mortgage or a partner, you must have insurance because insurance is your safety net. It covers you when something goes wrong. I mean, imagine not having car insurance. I mean, in America, I would be really scared of not having health insurance. We'll say, yeah, but you can fly back to London. It's all free. I'm like, not if I get run over by a car. Mm. On a plane, yeah. If I had an illness that I could wait, but if you suddenly are in an accident, it's like people who go on holiday with no travel insurance go, it's a waste of money. It's never a waste of money. You're buying peace of mind, and all parents should have life insurance, mm -hmm. and so should partners. How would you sell me life insurance if you were 
financial professionals. What would you say to me? <laughs> I'd ask you how many children you have. I have two kids. And um, what kind of home you have. And yeah. what are you paying for, for those children? And what would happen if you weren't here? If you weren't here, who would continue to give them the lifestyle they've got used to? My what? wife. Your wife. So she could she could give them the lifestyle without you. The mm, same I think not so 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 well if we are both. Yeah. So that's why. And then I would say, you know, if it's your own company, it's all tax deductible anyway. So. It's a recognized business expense, so it's not even costing you that much money because if you're self-employed, you can put every business expense through your taxes as insurance. Mm -hmm. Great. Excellent. Yeah, I'm 23 years in this uh, insurance and financial industry, and it's, it's getting huge because r right now people realize that they can... They can uh, run out of money and that can happen in one month you know in america it's very odd there's so many homeless people on the streets yeah. and in america they have this expression you are one pay most they say a lot of people are one paycheck away from being homeless i mean that would terrify me one paycheck away from being homeless i mean i just mm -hmm. couldn't even imagine living like that i know in europe we, we we pay people's rent when they can't pay it but a lot of people do live like that. They live hand to mouth. They're in a horrible situation where they haven't got enough money. And so they don't, they think insurance is not important, but it, I would say it's vital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say they can't afford it, can afford cable television and they, they update their phones. And there are some things which are way more important. Like if you're buying organic food and you have lots of cable subscriptions, you should look at um, insurance first, I think. Well, that's what I've always done anyway. I mean, I know when, even when I was very young, none of my friends had insurance on their properties. They didn't have contents insurance or building insurance. And I always thought that was, I always had it. Mm -hmm. Marisa, people are really afraid now about their jobs and businesses. I know. So what steps do they need to take to keep a positive mindset? Because mindset, as you said, it's it's eighty percent or even more. Yeah, while we're on percentages, the top twenty percent in every classification in every field will always be employed. So it is a, a, a very uncomfortable time for many people. People mm -hmm. businesses are closing. People are being furloughed. They're being laid off, and that's horrible. But if you are in that top 20% in your business, you will always be employed. The top 20% are always employed. So what you have to do is work out, how can I be in that top 20%? Well, again, it's mindset. 80% of everything is mindset. But many people say, I don't really know what mindset is. In fact, last year I was giving a talk to a company about mindset. They flew me out. And the first thing I said to the group was, who knows what mindset is? And most of them had no idea. What is mindset? And they go, well, it's focus, isn't it? It's, And actually, my belief is what mindset is, is how you dialogue with you. Mm. We're all taught, you know, if you want to have a great marriage, go and learn how to talk to your partner. 
If you want to have a great business, learn the skills of talking to your customer. But no one says, you know what, the most important thing of all is how you dialogue with you. The words you say become real because every thought you think and every word you say is a blueprint that your mind and body work to make real. So if you decide to say, I'm in that top 20%, I have a gift. I have a talent, I will always be okay. There's uncertainty in the world, but I have certainty because I'm in that top order. I'm the best, I'm gifted, I'm skilled, I've got the gift of selling, I've got a skill, a talent, it's an art, and I definitely own that art. You'll give yourself certainty, but you have a choice. You could also say, I'll never get into that top 20%. I feel like it's a fluke. I feel like I'm winging it. I feel like it's all an act and I'm always nervous that I won't pull off this sale. See, here's something I love. Your mind has no choice but to act on the words you say. Hmm. But you have a choice. You get to choose to use better words all the time. Every word you say is a blueprint that your mind must start to make real because the strongest force in human beings is that we act in a way that is utterly consistent with how we define ourselves. Try saying, I've got a memory like a sieve and I can never remember a thing and everything I touch, it all goes wrong. And now I've got a phenomenal memory, an incredible, foolproof, dependable memory. And I have a great habit of making things work. What I touch, turns to gold, it works, because it doesn't really matter what you say. Hmm. You can react to the words you say as if they're real. The mind doesn't care if what you tell it is good or bad, useful or useless, helpful or not, true or not. It lets it in, and if you accept that, because it's true, you might as well tell yourself better beliefs. You might as well tell yourself amazing beliefs, because the mind doesn't care. It lets them in anyway, and not only does it not care, your mind doesn't know if these beliefs are real or not. It just believes them. So you could say, you know, you have a choice. My headache is killing me. I've got a little niggle in my head. I'm going to ignore it. My kids make me insane. I have two kids. It comes with a territory, and they're challenging, but I love them, and I'm glad they're growing up with their own attitude. So be aware of the words you speak because you make them real. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I talk to many people and right now I, I hear these words. I have enough of this uh, job that I'm working in. Uh, I want to start my own business, but I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Yeah. What are some of the traits of the business owners or somebody that must go now or transition from employee to business owner to entrepreneur. Because not long ago, we believed if we had a job, we were set for life. If you worked for a company like Decker or Polydor or Sony, you were set for life. And everything is changing. If you worked for an airline like Virgin or British Airways, you were set. But we're suddenly seeing, oh, actually, no. Um, that working for someone else doesn't always give you that security. The best business you can have is one where you can work from home 
and do it online. And many of us are seeing in this situation, wow, I need, I need a second income stream. I need a better job. What could I do? from home. You know, there are so many companies like Etsy, for instance, where people are selling things that they make from home. There are people who've made a whole career about buying and selling. There are many mothers who do that. But if you have a business, you need to really look at, okay, how bulletproof is my business? There was a transport strike, an airstrike, another pandemic. Uh, that we had that thing in Iceland where the volcano erupted and there were no flight 9-11. How watertight is my business? And you, also, you always need to look at a business that you can do at home. So the whole belief system has changed. If you've got a university degree, you're okay. You'll get a great job. If you've got a great job, you're set for life. If you already come from education and wealth, you'll be okay. Some of the smartest people have come from nowhere with no university degree and they've created a product, they've created like Snapchat or like Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok. It's very innovative things that they've created in their kitchen table that everybody loves, again, because it makes them feel good. So think of a business you could do from home, on your laptop, from your kitchen table. Think of a business where you are selling something amazing that makes people feel good. You know, I, I look at James Dyson. He's such an amazing guy because he didn't even invent anything. He looks at a vacuum cleaner and thought, I could make that better. He realized that the bag in a vacuum cleaner, when you change it, creates dust. And he created a bagless vacuum cleaner. And it was three times the price of a normal one, probably four. Then he created a different fan because fans used to blow your pace. Then he created a different hairdryer, which, by the way, his hairdryers cost $700, $800. You could buy one for $50, but his product makes people feel so good that they buy it. And there's a lot of people out there, and it's not about have you got an, a mind to invent. You don't have to invent. You can take someone else's product and make it better, make it way better. I mean, that's what Virgin Airlines did. They revolutionized flying by making it funky and young. And there's so many companies. So if you're at home and you're still in this stay at home, go and investigate some of the most successful companies. What did they do? Where did they come from? Like that woman who took a household mop and revolutionized it. There's always somebody doing that. There's always someone doing something amazing and it's a question of you know using your imagination which is absolutely limitless you know I met the girl from Spanx you know what she did was amazing she cut off the feet of her tights or tights and made a control garment and then realized everybody could do that and she's an extraordinary visionary most people who've got their own business have a vision if you have a vision you wouldn't have that vision unless you could monetize it. So think of the vision you could have. And, and also, what do you like doing? If you have a job that you absolutely hate, you'll always pay a price. But if you can find a job that you love, which is why you should use your existing skills, you won't pay that price because you'll love it. Wow. I'm so happy you mentioned the ideal business model which is working from home 
uh, on the internet, uh, doing something or selling something that helps other people and makes them feel good. And this is our business model. We teach uh, also other people how money works. So this is very important financial education. And I think that this is not taught uh, properly in, in the school system. What do you think about the financial illiteracy? Yeah, I mean, that's funny you should say that because when I went to school, I went to a normal state school. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I would do math and my math would be, you have six oranges, you give three away, how many you got left? Well, the answer is three. But my brother went to a private school and his math test said, you have eight businesses, you sell three, how many you got left? Well, the answer is five. But I've given away my oranges. I've given away all my equity. Half my equity is gone because I gave away half my oranges. But my brother had eight companies and sold three. So he still had five, but he had all the money from the three he sold to invest. And so the way you teach children math and finance is very interesting. You see, he was being wired from the age of five to see himself as successful. You bought these companies, you've invested, you have equity. And I was being taught to give away half my oranges, which were my equity. So as a parent, you should really do math with your children, but not about apples and oranges and pears and bananas. Talk about, you know, if you um, put this amount of money in the bank and how much interest will it get? Zero. And, yeah, zero, I know, but you can still talk about how to make money grow how to make more money, how to buy something and then buy something else because that's how you get on the property market. You save up. You know, I remember when I bought my first apartment, I literally didn't spend anything for two years and I bought a little studio. And the first day I had, I thought, I'm going to go, I went to a little market. I had a little bit of money and I think I bought myself a handbag and it felt so good because I had to wait two years to buy that. My first car was an old beaten up Volkswagen, but I saved up for that. And I enjoyed that more than my friends whose parents just gave them cars. And then, of course, I sold that property and bought a bigger one, then a bigger one, then a bigger one, because I understood about that, that that's where you get on the property ladder as soon as you can. You buy something, you upgrade it, you sell it. And there are, I mean, a lot, most of the homeless people here, they actually take bicycles and then do some work and then, and then sell them. That's, I guess that's all they can do. I mean, I, obviously, we don't know where they're getting these bicycles from and we're not going to go there. But there's always somebody who can do something. And so it, it, there is no interest now. But you teach your children how to grow a business, how to start with one thing. You know, children who are selling lemonade at the end of your drive or selling their toys or, or learning that you can do that. And it's a, it's a great shame that in schools we don't teach people finances properly. We teach kids to be scared of money. We hold on to it. We don't teach about value. We don't teach about negotiating. You know, I've always believed that you can negotiate it. It's how you ask. When you go to a store and go, how much is that? Can I have a discount? Go, no. But if you say, well, what's the very best price you can give me? That or I taught my daughter that. When you go to buy something, never say, can you do it any cheaper? I can't afford it. Can I have a discount? You say, my budget for this is X. What is the best 
price you can give me on this. And sometimes they go, no, the price is fixed, but we could give you, if you're buying a phone, a free case and free insurance. You know, even with Airbnb, you can say, my budget is X and this is out of my budget. What's the best deal you are going to give me? Because it's a presupposition. What is the best deal you are going to give me today is different to can I have a deal? Mm. And when you say it like that, people hear, oh, I'm going to give you a good deal. What's the best deal? Mm. You must always ask a question that somebody can answer yes to. How much can you reduce this by? Most companies can always take 10% off goods. Mm. And, but you have to be able to formulate that question in a particular way. And if you form it, it's like if you go to say to your boss, I really need a pay rise. I've worked here for five years and there's an even when they go, the company just can't afford it. We haven't got any more money. But, you know, you are a very valued member. So how about, what about if I gave you less hours? You could have every Friday afternoon off for the same salary. We could give you, maybe we could give you an insurance perk or we could perhaps cover your uh, traveling. So it's it's always the way you ask a question. Never say, could you, can I, will you say, what is the best way you can do this for me? And just as selling is a gift, negotiating is a great gift. And if you negotiate, it's really easy, but you need to be quite confident. And when you're confident, you can pretty much get whatever you want. Absolutely. I wrote a book, which is the book only for my salespeople, my business owners, and the title is Warrior Mindset. When I say warrior mindset, what comes to your mind? Being a good warrior. I love that. I mean, I, I talk to children about warrior eating. So often with kids, I'll say, you know, warriors would never eat Krispy Kreme donuts and cans of Coke and, and packets of jelly babies because a warrior eats to be a warrior. And I've often taken small children and their parents, what I call warrior shopping. This is what a Marine would eat, a warrior would eat. They would never eat this junk. And people love the idea of a warrior. So a warrior mindset is a great thing because warriors don't quit. They fight back. They bounce back. The bounce back ability is very important because we look at people who are successful and think, oh, you're so lucky. You've never had rejection. They have. But the difference is they bounce back. How much of a bounce back factor have you got? Because success is not about never failing. It's about how quickly you get back up again. We all fall over. Do you get back up? Do you carry on? Do you have the I'll show you mentality or do you just give up? And most people who are very successful, I mean, you know, even Donald Trump went bankrupt. But he came back. Mm -hmm. you know, be a fan of his. It's it's not about liking him or not. It's about wow, someone like that came back. Your ability to bounce back from adversity is what will stand you in great stead. And a lot of people now are going, I'm terrified of this virus. What if I can't pay the mortgage? What if my business folds? What if I have no money? And for some people, that's going to happen sadly mm -hmm. there are people who've lost everything and come back lost their business lost their home and back they have come because you now have a template if you have a template to run a business it's like having a template to run a marriage 
People are very happily married. If their partner dies, they tend to find another one, often very quickly because they've got that template. And so it's a question of, you know, how can you come back? And I'd love to have all the answers, but my only answers are believe you're in that top 20%. Go and research people who've lost everything and come back and maybe all working. And there are so many of them. It's unfortunate that he's the, the example that's come into my head. But there are many, many, many others. You, you mentioned the word rejection. I think this this is the main reason why people quit in the in the sales. So how to get uh, rejection proof? It's the reason people quit in everything. You know, our biggest fear is to be rejected. If you cast your mind back five hundred years and you just you've been born into a tribe, you know something. Mm -hmm. You will make it on the planet if you can find connection and avoid rejection very important to understand that your survival is linked to finding connection and avoiding rejection. You know, it's so funny, last week somebody called me and said, I've got these seven tiny kittens, they're about to be put to sleep. Could you have them in your garage? I'm like, sure. I, they took them, I opened them, one, the tiny, the run to the litter, leapt out, mountaineered up my leg and sat on my knee. And she knew my survival is linked to you liking me. She thought, oh, this is a nice life. And out of all of them, this one was the one that knew if I can connect to you, you're going to feed me. I'm not going back to that shelter. And she's done a brilliant job. She's so connected. I could never part with her now. The scary, crazy ones that keep hiding, I'm already rehoming those because they're so difficult. They run away. They climb up the curtains. But we're no different. We understand our survival on the planet is linked to our ability to find connection and avoid rejection. And we say things like, I'll die if I get rejected. If I get fired in front of people, it will kill me. If I have another difficult client that shouts at me, I'll die. And you have to understand the truth about rejection. Not long ago, you would have died from rejection. If you watch Game of Thrones, there it is. In those times, survival was a numbers game. If you belonged to a big tribe in their lives, you'd make it. If you're on your own, you didn't have a chance. But now you can live in an apartment with 10 cats, get everything around. You can live until you're 110 and never see anyone. We don't die from rejection, but it feels like we will. So tell yourself the truth. The only person who can reject me is me. Hmm. No one else has the power to reject me. You can't reject me. And I can't reject you unless you give me your consent. I could say horrible things about you, but I can't reject you without your consent. You can't reject me without my consent, and I will not give you my consent to reject me. So we all lie to ourselves all the time. Here's the lie. I die if you reject me or kill me if I'm my partner leaves or kill me if I lose that job. It will kill me if another customer doesn't buy when I've spent so long on this pitch. Mm -hmm. If you're going to lie to yourself, because these are all lies, why not tell yourself a better lie? Mm -hmm. I'm a great salesperson. People love me. I could sell. We've got this. You could sell ice to Eskimos. I can sell anything. I have the gift, the art, the skill, the beauty of selling. And be proud of it, because we lie to ourselves all the time. Here's a lie. I'm exhausted. 
I'm locked in my house. Or another lie, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Well, that's not true. You're not locked in your house. No one seals up the door. You're not exhausted. You're probably a bit tired. And no one could even eat an eighth of a horse. So since we all lie, tell yourself a better lie will stand you in very good stead. And when you tell yourself a better lie enough, it stops being a lie and it becomes true. <laughs> great, great metaphor. Uh, we 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 have many addictions, but I think that the number one addiction is uh, not the alcohol or nicotine or any other addiction, but the approval addiction. Why why we are so wired, hardwired for this, the need the need for the approval from other people? Well, that goes back to that finding connection. You know, we go through the world and we give our power to someone else. Could you make me feel good about myself? Could you make me think I matter? Could you make me feel important or significant or worth it? Because our wiring tells us that I will survive if you connect to me and I connect to you. And so approval is connection. Do you like me? Am I okay? Did I do a good job? Do you believe in me? Some people don't go, yeah, I do actually. I, I'm going to tell you that you're so great. Now I've given you permission to decide how I feel. And if, I, if you are the one who makes me feel good, because you're proven, what I'm going to do when you take that away, you go, hey, I have some fat someone younger than you, taller than you, richer than you, better than you, and I'm trading up and um, you're no longer needed. What do you do? That's why, you know, we think we're so fragile. I see clients who are so damaged by rejection. This boy ripped out my heart and trod all over it. This girl killed me when she ran off with my friend. My boss humiliated me. He killed me. I died of embarrassment in front of the team. Well, really? No, the boy got bored with you. The girl got bored with you. You probably were bored with them if they'd stuck around. Your boss replaced you. He was mean and nasty and horrible. But you know what? It doesn't matter because that's behind you. That's not who you are. You know, we've all been rejected. I've been, I've been dumped. I've been fired. I've been replaced romantically, professionally, in all kinds of ways. And it, it wasn't easy. But it was my decision to come back from this. Mm -hmm come back to not let that first boyfriend who broke my heart to realize that everything he loved in me it's still in me he didn't pack it up in a bag when he left and take it with him he didn't go you know what everything i said about you is a lie i found someone better and actually funny enough the boy that broke my heart when i was 17 or 18 many years later he trapped me down and went you know i've never got over you i said but you ran off with someone else when i know what an idiot i was I've never got over you. And I went to see him and I thought, oh, I've definitely got over you. Um, but he wasn't a bad person. But, it, you know, we do things. Things happen. But no one is at home going, I'm, I'm at home rejecting you. I'm not calling you. The guy or the girl that doesn't call, that the person that doesn't give you the job you want, because they're not rejecting you. They're just, you know, I, I've, I employ, we employ a lot of staff. And it's very hard sometimes to say to someone, I'm really sorry, you were so close to that job. There were two of you. And actually, I, I ended up taking the other person. And when we do that, I try to explain exactly why I took the other person because I never want the person I didn't take to feel so demoralized. 
but people do that. They say, you know, I, 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 they didn't want me. I'm like, no, it isn't they didn't want you. The other person just had a skill that you don't yet have, but you could acquire that skill. You know, I recently had two different girls I was interviewing to be a PA. They were both amazing. I was so conflicted. But one of them was an amazing writer. And so I said, I'm giving you a job. I said to the other girl, look, I really like you. You were great. But this one, she's got writing skills as well as PA skills. And I'm so sorry I can't take you. And I was trying to say to her in a very nice way, you could learn these writing skills. You could study more and bring more to the table. Because the more you bring to the table, the less likely you are to be overlooked. But when you are overlooked, it's not personal. Sometimes it just happens. You know, my baby, for instance, I was in the street by a little girl and someone said to me, oh my God, that baby is so gorgeous. Can she model? So she modeled um, for this video and she was really good. She went to a few different things. And one day I turned up and they went, she's too pretty for this job. We can't have babies as pretty as her. She's so pretty, they look at her and not the clothes. We need an, an average baby. I thought that was so funny. She got, she was refused the casting for this baby modeling job because she was too beautiful. And they said they, they weren't, we like, we have to have a baby where they look at the baby clothes, not the baby. Sometimes you get turned down because you're too good. Many bosses go, oh, I couldn't possibly have you because you'll outshine me. You know, I with a lot of actresses and they go, I went for this job and I didn't get it because the, the director said, this is, you can't have this job because you'll outshine the leading act. You know, one of my clients was a dancer and she went to audition to dance with a very famous singer and they said, she, we can't have her, she's taller than the singer. So I'm not going to say it was, but if you imagine someone like Madonna or Kylie Minogue, they're not tall. And Madonna always has boy dancers. She doesn't really have many women because she doesn't want anyone to look taller or younger than her. I mean, I think that's incredibly smart. But if you look at Madonna, everyone on stage is a guy, yeah. which doesn't take any. So she would reject a dancer who came to dance on her tour. It doesn't mean they're not a brilliant dancer. It means they might eclipse her. And she's smart enough to make sure that doesn't happen. But that's not a rejection. It's actually a compliment. <laughs> yes, great. Wow, time is running so fast. So let, let's go back to uh, to this present time, the, the coronavirus, the corona crisis, however you want to call it. What uh, effect will this have on people's health, mental health? Well, I think, you know, I understand that we have to stay at home and we're safe at home and I've been safe at home for six weeks and I'm all right. I've got a wonderful husband. I'm working all the time, so it doesn't feel that different. But for people on their own with no one to talk to, that affects your mental health. Mm -hmm. Forcing them to have no contact for their own physical health is, is understandable, but then what about your mental health? And then the mental health of losing your job, being not able to provide for your family. And I think it's it's a shame that we haven't been able to find a middle ground. Um, I think there's many ways this could have been handled better, but people don't react well when they're in fear. But your mental health, human beings feel good when they connect. We are creatures that need connection. There's that wiring again, find connection. We need to connect. And we need to have certainty. And the certainty we need is, okay, I need to know I've got enough money to pay the bills. I need certainty that I'm okay, that 
my partner's okay, that my kids, I need certainly I'm not going to die of this illness that if I get sick and have to go to hospital, they've got a ventilator for me. Or, but they, we also hear that, look, you know, for many people just stay at home and get better. So when the world takes your certainty away, because human beings need three things. They need certainty. They need to control the direction of change in their life. So it's always change for the better, which is very hard when you lose your job. And they need to have gain and not loss. We react much more to loss than gain. So now we're in this virus. I don't have certainty. I don't like the change. And I've got way more loss than gain. How can you get around that? You have to give yourself the certainty that is missing. You have to go, okay, I've still got the talents that got me that job I was in. I'm the same person my partner loved. I'm the same parent. Give yourself certainty in an uncertain world. When you're focusing on change, I've lost my job. I can't pay the bills. It's hard to say what in that could be a change for the good. But if you can find one tiny thing where it could be change for the better and look at gain and not loss, which I'm not going to say that's easy. What what are you gaining? But many people are saying, I am gaining. I'm at home. I've learned a new skill. I've learned a new career. I've learned actually that I like being at home. I don't want to do that commute to work. I've learned that it is really a time to look for something else that I could do that would make my life better because just working and working and and doing something you hate, you pay such a price that there's always other ways. And I think some of the good things to come out of this series, there's always something good, is that we've learned the power of people, the power of bartering and trading and looking out for each other. And that's been actually really fun. It's been very heartfelt, the way people are coming together, clapping at night, singing songs, doing things and realizing that's what makes me feel. It's not buying stuff that makes me feel good. It's actually sharing stuff. And that's such a nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. Marisa, a couple of days ago, my daughter Sima, uh, she told me, she said, uh, Daddy, I'm missing a grandmother. Yeah. I said, let's go and visit her. And she said, no, but I'm missing hugs because I cannot hug her. So what do you think? Can this have uh, this social distancing can have uh, some uh, effect on uh, our children in the future? A huge effect on our children because, you know, we need physical touch. You know, touch makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. People who have all kinds of illness and go to hospital are, are deprived of touch. In the hospital, you get more touching, even if someone's just tapping your arm like that to make the vein stand up, to put mm -hmm. a needle or is giving you medication, saying, how are you feeling today? So touch is so important. And it's very hard for your children. They can't hug the grandmother. And even harder for the grandmother because at least your kids can hug you. And the only thing you could do is say, look, you know, let's draw a picture of a hug and send that to grandmother. Let's imagine. I remember my, my little girl's father years ago bought her a big heart cushion and it had some arms. He said, anytime you want to feel how much I love you, put those arms from that heart cushion around you and imagine that's me loving you. And I said, put my little girl to bed and I go, I want you to think of your blankets as a pair of arms cuddling you at night. You know, children sleep much better with a teddy or a doll and alone. 
because they've got something to cuddle. And, you know, when you, um, my friend got a little puppy and took it away from the mother and the puppy was really sad. I said, you need to fill a hot water bottle with hot water, a furry one, because at night it will come and lie on that fur and it will think it's its mother, even though it isn't. And so when your child can't hug grandmother, you have to think of another way around that. I read this great story about someone whose wife had died and he, he had to get make this cardboard cutout for his daughter of dead mummy. And they had to put it in the car and take it everywhere. And he said it was very strange, but the child loved that. And eventually she didn't use it anymore. It went up into the loft. But it was like a cardboard cutout. And she'd put mummy's sweater on and go, that smells of mummy. And I know when I used to travel, my daughter would say, mum, leave me your pashmina. Don't wash it because it smells of you. So maybe get grandmother to send a scarf in the post or a T-shirt and say, we're going to hug that. We're even going to put it on a pillowcase and hug the pillowcase that smells of grandmother and just pretend we're hugging grandmother. It's not the same, I know, but hug the pillowcase, pretend it's grandmother that smells of grandmother. And we're saying, grandmother, one of your T-shirts that smells of you, and while you're hugging her, she's hugging you. And you can close your eyes and feel that and remember something very important. This is temporary. If it's something to get you, it has to be permanent. It has to be all pervasive. It has to go on all the time and it has to be personal. Mm -hmm. Being safe at home is not permanent. It's not personal. It's happened to all of us and it's not going to go on all the time. And we can cope with anything when it hasn't. We can cope with pain. When we know it's ending, we can say, how long will that hurt for? Oh, that dental work, how long will that, how, that needle going and how long will that last? Mm. And they go, and people go and have tattoos. They go, how long? And they go, 15 minutes, then you'll have this big thing on your back. And they go, okay, put it, put, stick the needle in. I can take 15 minutes. I couldn't take four hours. If we know something's going to end, pain, grief, sorrow, sadness, being in the house. We know winter's ending every year and summer's coming. That's why we deal with the winter. We go, oh, really, this weather's a bitch, but it's already January, be over by March. So when something's gone ending, we can cope. It's when it has no ending, this will end. And you know, by the way, all the governments all over the world are now looking to make sure this doesn't happen. After 9-11, Flying became safer because it's like, right, we can't have this happen again. And so I know people think, oh, what if we get over it? It all happens again. But every government is working so hard to find a way of making sure this doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. So it isn't permanent. It can only hurt if it's permanent, personal, and also That's why we go, we're all in it together. We're saying it's not personal. All around the world, we're all going through it. It's not easy. I haven't seen my daughter for ages. And we were supposed to be in Miami together last week. I had a big event on, sold out. We were flying in from all over the world to do my training. My daughter was flying out to be there. My sister was flying out. My sister's kids were coming out to spend Easter in L.A. None of that happened. It was my husband's birthday, then mine. And it was the most... Hmm. Um, it was, an, I mean, he tried his hardest to make my birthday lovely. I woke up to see me wonder, singing happy birthday. He got me some gifts online. But by one o'clock, I said, what should we do now? We'll go for a walk. And it was, it wasn't amazing. But I've had plenty of amazing birthdays, and I'll have plenty again. 
but it was just well this is just this this is just the birthday for now you know it's going to be somebody's wedding anniversary and you can't do anything but that's only this year next year it'll all be the same again so okay you just got to deal with it yeah you you mentioned the word leader uh, or the fear so when you mentioned the word fear the word leader came to my mind so this time required different kind of a leader who is the right leader at this time because we have business leader political leaders we have many leaders and we have to show up every day for our employees for our business owners partners and our family too leaders leave clues that leaders have a very interesting thing they do you know i i did a talk did many talks on what it takes to become a natural leader one of the first things the leader does is they tell you what they're good at i'm so good at this i'm going to lead my troops through this place in afghanistan because i'm the right person a leader will tell you immediately this is my gift this is what i'm good at this is what i'm great at so if you want to be a leader the first thing you must do is be prepared to tell people what you are good at. Secondly, leaders are very good at giving praise. They never go, hey, well done. They give you real praise. By the way, today, I saw you do that. And what you did was excellent. And what was so impressive about it was this. They give great feedback. Leaders are very good at employing people who are better than them. They would never go, you know, when I took on my PA, Rosie, who was a brilliant writer, she wrote much better copy than me, and I never pretended it was mine. I'd say to all my staff, actually, don't ask me, ask Rosie. She is a brilliant writer, way better than me, because a leader never tries to take someone else's praise, and they don't embellish. They'll say, I am the best strategist in this company. They don't say, I'm also the best cook, chef, gardener, feng shui expert, pediatrician, hairdresser, tattoo is makeup artist they only have to be good at one thing so if you want to be a leader focus on what you're good at tell everyone you don't need to be a jack of all trades you need to be a master of one we don't all want to be leaders but leaders have a great way of making their team feel good and if you lead a team one of the reasons people stay in a company, there's two actually. One is that they feel they're making a difference. Mm -hmm. You can make a difference, you'll always stay in that company. If you can feel that you're contributing to something worthwhile, you'll stay. So the ability to contribute and make a difference are really important to human beings and leaders bring that out in people. Mm -hmm. So who should be leading us now? Somebody who can make us feel that we're contributing and making a difference. And very clever politicians, they say, you know, we're all at home together and we're doing this together. We're going in together, we're coming out together. And then a lot of people are, are doing it, but you know, that clapping for, for health workers at night. I, I'm contributing, I'm standing on my gate, waving a pan, waving a klaxon, but I'm, I'm making someone else feel good. And, and so, and, and initially when we saw people's putting their piano out on the balcony and playing music for other people. It's a really great skill. If you can make other people feel good and if you can feel that you can contribute, then you'll always be great. And, and you can put that into selling. How can I contribute through sales? How can I make people feel good through sales? Well, you can, you really can, but you have to take a look at how you're doing that. 
Mm-hmm. Great. Marisa, what is your latest project or what are some future oh. projects that you are doing right now and developing? Can you tell us That's something? Actually, having this time at home has been interesting. So I, I have RTT, my own school, where you train with me mm-hmm. live online and you become an RTT therapist. You do what I do, you get the results I get. So we've had that for five years. It's been incredibly successful. We're now moving into teaching, we're going to be a coach. So we now have RTC. We have rapid transformational therapy. It's great training. And we're now doing rapid transformational coaching. You can become an RTT coach. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I'm doing, which I really love, is that 25 years ago, amazingly, I, I wrote this program about how to boost children's immune systems. And it was very well received, need a lot of work, and I just got swept up with other things. So a month ago, I sat down and I wrote a story, and it was a story about what goes on in your body when you're sick, and it's all about this scout who gets on a dolphin and goes through your blood, and he's looking for a virus. When he finds the virus or she, they call for backup, and out come the troops, and the troops surround the virus and eat it up. And then the cleanup crew come along and they clean your blood and then they leave behind these special antibodies, these sparkly things that stop you even getting sick. So the scout is finding the virus before it has a chance to make you ill. So I wrote the story and then I wrote a game where the children just close their eyes. They get introduced to all that. They can have ninjas, they can have pilots, they can have crew, they can have... Harry Potter on his magic wand, or they can have a dolphin squadron. So interesting to them. And then they play a game. So now they've got their video controller in their head and they're playing the game of defeating the virus, ending the virus, winning at wellness. And then I wrote a little song, and the song is all about my cleanup squaddies and making antibodies. I'm so happy because all my cells are zappy. I think when you sing this song with your grandparents or to them or to mummy and daddy, while you're singing, you can see is that blueprint again. As you sing about having a phenomenal immune system, you're making one. Children's immunoglobulin level, the protein that fights infection, goes up dramatically when they imagine fighting infection. So the book, the song, and the game they play in their head are all about increasing the levels of protein that fight infection. So, and I'm now going to be releasing that as a proper video game quite soon. So that's been very exciting and I wouldn't have actually done it if I hadn't been um, having to be at home. See, I didn't say forced to be at home or stuck. Yeah. I had to be at home. Yeah. So that's my most exciting thing. And it's actually already, it's on Instagram already, a very basic mm-hmm. version. I'm actually filming the proper version on Monday. But you can go to Instagram now and you can find that video. It's on Instagram, it's on YouTube, it's on my own website. And then we're going to get it translated into every language. And then we're going to make one for children who have cancer, for children who have allergies, for children who have mm. problems or skin problems or even sight problems. And so I'm really excited about that, that we've got this wellness product for kids. Wow. Thank you very much. Where can we find more information on your web page? Luckily, you can, on Instagram, I'm Marissa Peer Therapy. On YouTube, I'm Marissa Peer Therapy. Mm-hmm. I have my own website, marissapeer.com. We give away tons of stuff, including an audio on money blocks and wildfire. If you want to have a free audio to smash out, mm-hmm. 
chatter at wealthwhatsgoodandmarissapeer.com. If you want to train in our TT and do what I do, that's a great career because in this situation of being at home, I've been seeing all my clients online. It hasn't affected me at all. Go to, go to rtt.com and you can find out how to train with me, do what I do. And if you're looking for a great therapist, you can also find one in your area at rtt.com. We've got some people from Slovenia that we train. Yeah, so. yeah, I know. They, many of them, they, they, they met you uh, on our Wake Up event. I know, I remember so well. 1,500 people in the room. <laughs> That was incredible. That was such a great time. Yeah, you said yeah, I never did a hypnosis in front of 1,500 people. With a translator, yeah. With a translator was... on top. <laughs> yeah, but it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Marisa, thank you very much. It was such a pleasure to, to, have, to have you on our show again. And I hardly wait to see you in person. If you come to Europe, please be my guest in Croatia, in our apartment home. I was there last year in Pula. It was amazing. Which yeah. part of Croatia are you? Uh, Island of Park, which is maybe two hours drive from. Okay. Well, I'm definitely coming to Amsterdam in July. So maybe we'll come to Croatia as well. It's an amazing country. I love Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. Thank say you. Bye to John and see you. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Love bye. you. Bye. Bye bye. bye. Resources from this interview are available online. Visit www.warriorfamily.com and download the free book Lessons from Millionaires with all the resources mentioned in the interview. If you want to be a warrior who has it all, visit www.warriorfamily.com and download my ebooks for free. Learn all about warrior productivity, habits, mindset, marketing, and sales strategies confidence boosters and many other things. I promise that you won't be disappointed. More valuable content is waiting for you on my social media profiles. Instagram, Smillion Mori, YouTube and Facebook, Smillion Mori, Warrior Family, Twitter, Smillion Mori, and LinkedIn, Smillion Mori.